This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 371. I'm Andrew. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And we're joined by a guest this week, one of our Slug Club members. Hello, Amy. Hi. Welcome to the show. Where are you podcasting from? Uh, I am in Indiana. And I'm actually currently in my classroom because I'm a teacher and I have terrible internet at home. Oh, that's so kind of wow! To school on a Sunday. Wow, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming in on on a weekend. We appreciate that. That's nice of you. That might be a first, actually. Uh, podcasting podcasting from, school. from school. Yeah. I mean, I guess I podcasted from campus, college campus, once or twice, but <laughs> definitely not high not school. Not the same. Cool. Well, it's good to have you. Let's get your fandom ID, Amy. When did you discover the Harry Potter series? Um, this, I always used to say during my 11th birthday, that's when I got the first book. But I actually realized recently, I think I'm wrong. I think it was my 10th birthday um, because I'm almost <laughs> positive it's before the first movie came out. And so to make that work, it would have to be my 10th birthday. But I, my mom got me the books just because they were popular at the time. So I think at that point, the first three were out. And by the time I got time for Goblet mm. of Fire, it was out too. So the first one I had to wait for was Order of the Phoenix. Have you introduced your students to Harry Potter? What grade do you teach? I teach ninth grade, so they're a little old for an introduction. Oh, yeah. Uh, my room is covered in Harry Potter stuff, though, and I talk to them about it all the time. So they know that I love it. <laughs> oh, nice. Who who gave us Quizzage? Was that Kyle? He's a teacher, right? You should, you should uh, borrow Quizzage from him and us now, I guess. Bring Quizich yeah. to your class. I actually talked to him on Twitter a little bit after your guys' episode with him because I thought he was awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting discussion. Yeah. Um, okay. Next, in one breath, give us your favorite book, movie, Hogwarts House, Ilvermorny House, and Paternus. Okay. So it's Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, Ravenclaw, Thunderbird, and Calico Cat. Cool. Nice. You got one of those cool cats, one of those cool breeds of cats. Calico. I know. I love it. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue nicely. Calico. And uh, today we're talking about, in today's episode, we're kicking off a month of Order of the Phoenix discussions uh, because, believe it or not, it's been 15 years since Order of the Phoenix was published. And we're going to talk about pre-Order of the Phoenix release theories. What, what was everybody thinking would happen as we went into Order of the Phoenix back in June 2003? So in light of that, what, what is your favorite Order of the Phoenix chapter? My favorite chapter is Snape's Worst Memory, where they go back and see when he was, like, in doing his owls and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a top one, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Uh, it's nice to have you again, Amy. So thanks for joining us, and feel free to chime in throughout the episode and, uh, you know, put us in our place. <laughs> Before we continue, we have some interesting news to talk about today, in addition to the Order of the Phoenix theorizing uh but first i just wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners camilla she uh is a ios developer and she was interviewed by apple about her four favorite podcasts to listen to and she published and apple published her list of favorite podcasts in the app store right on the app store homepage. yeah and one of them was mugglecast so thank you very much camilla and I told her we owe her a spot on the show sometime because that's some serious promo. And uh, welcome to any new listeners who may have found us through the App Store. Yeah, no pressure on us being like really, really good at what we do. <laughs> yeah, they linked to the episode Sorry, Dobby, which uh. I thought uh, 
was a good idea. I, I like that episode. That's so it was good. cool. With them I thought you were going to say that one. she ended up hacking the uh, new mobile game and was able to uh, get those free energies, which allow you to advance much more quickly. <laughs> But Camilla, work on that. Can, yeah, you, can you uh, get us some free energy, please? Yeah, do us a solid, Camilla. I mean, I was another able solid. To get to year two yesterday. It only Ooh. took a couple weeks. So, uh, <laughs> and and a couple bucks I broke, and I ended up. Uh, That's how they get you, Micah. Don't know, give in. I know. It's you got to do it sometimes, though. Otherwise, you know, won't get to year two for another five years. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to be my like my boyfriend and plan your day around the game, so you can you know. Get in in the morning, spend all your energy. Get back in in the afternoon, spend all your energy. Get back in at night, spend all your energy. Yeah. You, you got to time it right. I mean, that just seems like a lot of a lot of work. I, <laughs> and I commend him fully for it. But uh, the fact too that uh, you're only allowed to do something, you know, three hours from now, and you have to wait, and you can't just jump into it unless you want to pay. I mean, it's it's crazy. For more complaints, a, please see our recent episode where we discuss Hogwarts Mystery the game. <laughs> yeah, it, you know it's fun. I don't not enjoy it. I, I it, and I'm interested to see kind of where the story goes with all this. But it is turning into one of those things where it's like I want to play and I want to play maybe for like a half hour, and I can't really do that unless I want to spend you know yeah. a couple bucks. Are you playing the game, Amy? I am. I uh, I will not spend any money on it, though. I'm very adamant about it. I do what it sounds like your boyfriend does, where, like, before my school day starts, I'll play for, like, ten minutes, and then I'll play at lunch, and then I'll play after school, and usually yeah, my, right. my energy's good by then. That seems to be the way to do it. But That's I funny. have a sister-in-law who says she spent, like, 30 bucks on it. I think she's crazy. She's like, I'm halfway oh, through man. year three, and I'm like, well, I'm still in year two, so. Yeah, I mean, just just go buy a real video game if you're going to spend that much money. Yeah. <laughs> but this uh so this App Store thing though was getting getting back to that real quick was really cool. I had a friend reach out to me who I knew in like middle school, like junior high, reach out like I haven't talked to him in ugh, I don't want to date myself, but like 16, 17 years. You're old. Yeah, and I got to say like it was super he was like, "Hey man, congratulations on the shadow on the, on the Apple Store, on the iOS Apple Store." And I'm like, "What?" You know, this is crazy, and he sent some screenshots, and I'm like, this is super cool. So yeah, yeah. it brings people together and more people to the show. So welcome to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good to have you. So we talk about Harry Potter here on this podcast. Ooh, uh, the book series launched like 20 years ago. Mm. It's super old, but yeah, believe it. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not, we're still doing weekly episodes. I know. What do we talk about? I don't know what we talk about. We find stuff to talk about. <laughs> Just responding to the number one question I get from people who don't listen. What do you talk about? How do you? What do you talk about every week? Well, why don't you be a real Harry Potter fan? Then you would understand. Just listen. That's all you have to tell them. Just, get those download numbers up. Right. <laughs> Actually, doing a weekly podcast right now, we, we haven't had much news to talk about, but this past week has had some pretty significant news. First of all, the Crimes of Grindelwald screenplay cover has been revealed, and it has lots of Easter eggs in it they're doing what they did for the first movie the screenplay by jk rowling is going to be released same day the movie comes out you might remember we were fine with the screenplay being printed the problem was it didn't include any deleted scenes and stuff it was like exactly what was in the movie so it didn't really add much to the movie itself um though it is nice to read jk rowling's writing and it 
offers some alternative perspectives on things you may not have seen in the movie. So anyway, this thing's pretty loaded with Easter eggs. You you can, even without Pottermore being like, it's loaded with Easter eggs. You can tell there's a <laughs> lot of stuff scattered, <laughs> scattered throughout it. Do you guys like this cover? It's I do. pretty, right? Yeah. I think it looks awesome. Micah, you spotted a bunch of different things, didn't you? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of cool Easter eggs, uh, as you mentioned, in the cover. And uh, we can go through some of them. Uh, others, I have no idea what they mean or, or what they represent. But uh, there are several beasts, which is to be expected. Uh, we see a bow truckle towards the bottom, as well as a niffler. And uh, I saw a couple of people say at the top, they think, you know, those are dragons or possibly phoenixes that are rising out sort of at the bottom of of those dragon heads. And then there's a very curious beast at the at the bottom of the cover, which I think you noted that uh, one of our patrons uh, spotted. Yeah. Yeah. He made a post actually on our patron um, Patreon. He realized that the beast in the bottom left and bottom right is seen in the trailer on a poster it appears to be japanese a japanese creature called the oni oni or maybe just the oni oni yeah it's sort of like i looked it up it's sort of like a troll or uh, a demon sort of creature with horns creature with horns so that's going to be featured in circus arcanus the traveling circus that we keep hearing about that we don't really know we don't know how it's going to play into the film. We've speculated that Credence might join the circus because he's a weirdo. Um, but that was a good catch by Hunter. Yeah. I will say the the overall color scheme just pleases me. Yeah. Uh, you know, of this this cover. It's, it's a very, very nice blue with like a mm-hmm. light gold writing. And, you know, the white and the it's very fancy, very flourishing uh, ink on the top. And, you know, I just got to say like that. That looks nice, and to get back to the title, you know, for a for a film called The Crimes of Grindelwald, which is the villain of the entire series' name, like, this film could easily be called something different, I think, something nicer, something that's a little bit more hopeful. Um, but it's not, so I should get over it. And hopefully they're planning these covers so that when you put all five screenplay books together, it's going to look really nice on a shelf. Like the first... And it will, spoil, it will spoil the whole series. I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> The five blues combined will reveal who kills uh, who. There's also yeah. uh, a couple of cats at the bottom of the uh, the cover as well. Not sure exactly what those are. <gasps> McGonagall's backs confirmed. They look like uh, Siamese cats or like Persian. Oh yeah, uh, the Pokemon. <laughs> nice of him to make an appearance. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, going outside of the beasts, there's a lot of other things there. Uh, towards the bottom of the page, uh, we see the Deathly Hallows symbol and the Elder Wand. Um, there's a locket. As you go sort of towards the, the upper right-hand side uh, with the initials NF on them, which I think we all believe stands for Nicholas Flamel. Yep. Oh, I thought it was Nancy Fig. Oh, you know her too. Never mind. That makes oh, a lot Fig? more sense. Is that Miss Fig? Are, is, are we going to see a Miss Fig backstory it, in these? Uh... I thought it was Arabella Fig's grandmother, great-great-grandmother. Never mind. Okay, Nicholas Flamel makes, makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and yeah, and then and then in the center, we see what looks like the Sorcerer's Stone, mm-hmm. the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we knew Nicholas Flamel was in this, but maybe the 
the stone is more prominent in this storyline if we thought if it's it's essentially in the dead center of the cover yeah yeah or it just looks like one of those i forget what they're called from legend of zelda uh, it's like one of these little uh beasts that you need to uh defeat they kind of run around all the different dungeons i don't know it looks like a rock to me yeah you're probably right <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, it's in like a case. Well, it's in like, yeah, yeah. It looks like it's being protected in some way. It looks like the Beauty and the Beast rose case. It really does. That's what it I was really does. Say too. Yeah. Well, with the Elder Wand, uh, presumably at the bottom, there's also a wand in the word crimes, or what looks like one. I wonder what the difference between the. I say because I thought that was the Elder Wand that was mentioned in the dock. I looked at the eye in crimes. Well, that's. That's uh, that's I think that's clearly the Elder Wand, but there's also at the bottom in the Deathly Hallows symbol. Yeah, I see the one at the bottom now. Yeah, that's ugh, probably also the Elder Wand, but then also next to the word original on the left-hand side, there's another maybe wand hanging off of a keychain or a pendant or something, and it has like a weird marking on the middle of it, or maybe it's hollow in the center or something. Yeah. That's like, that's another wand. Yeah. That's just there. Uh-huh. I'm going to say the one at the bottom is Dumbledore's wand. Why would they have the Elder Wand on it twice? And they're clearly different wands, so. Well, why do so many wands have anal beads on them? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's my concern. I don't, I got to talk to the designer. Well, wouldn't it make sense for the Elder Wand if it's part of the Deathly Hallows? Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um but then also at the top, you see what looks to be a version of the dark mark. Or is it just a snake going through somebody's skull? <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, the, if it was a dark mark, that would be very significant. And I love that style for a dark mark, if that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a bit interesting to kind of get that as a teaser, because it raises the question, what was the dark mark? Before it was Voldemort's sign of victory. Exactly. Um, did he take it from somewhere? Did he steal it from Grindelwald? You know, what What exactly is the origin? Did Grindelwald just doodle it one day? <laughs> and Voldemort saw it somehow and was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to make that my tattoo. Yeah. Could be. That's, that's the great thing about this is we have no idea. Yeah. And, and this series has largely been about... The origins of so many well it looks like it's going to be about the origins of so many aspects of the harry potter series obviously dark marks are a very important element so yeah i think maybe we could learn the origin of the dark mark yeah and right up above the word crimes there appears to be the obscurus books logo oh, oh that's what that is i think so i was like what on earth is that somebody do a no. quick google but that's what i thought it was when i first saw it no, I'm. I don't know. the The Obscurus Books logo is like a moon. Oh yeah, a silhouette of a moon. Yeah, it is. It, I like whatever this logo is. I like the quill with it and everything like that. That looks really cool. Right. It looks like a quill, and it's scribbled something down. But then there's a little box in the center of it. Like, is this supposed to mean something, or is this just is this just a symbol for written by J.K. Rowling? <laughs> like, maybe it means absolutely nothing. It's just like, okay, we need something for this area. Uh, J.K. Rowling is a writer. Let's put a quill on it. Hey, if we've learned nothing after 15 years of studying the works of J.K. Rowling, nothing is by accident. Yeah, true. Yeah, so I feel like you don't make a cover with this much intricacies and have something on there be totally random. 
Yeah. yeah. I feel like I've seen it somewhere before, though. Maybe if, if you, I'm looking up Obscurus books, you're right. But where would it have been? Is it possible it's just been on other Potter books? Maybe. Maybe. I, I, did, I did see a tweet, or somebody did message us specifically about this quill. It was probably one of our patrons and one of our comments, but uh, they had a, an interesting thought of it. I'm going to try and find that. Maybe it came to you in a dream. <laughs> uh, and then just some other things on the cover. Uh, we see the Eiffel Tower, very prominent, uh, under where it says the original screenplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, also there's a sort of like a profile or a silhouette on either side of the cover, right by the Nifflers, um, of what looks like um, a woman, possibly from the Far East, just based on what she's wearing. Kind of similar to what you were saying, Eric. Uh, there are these Siamese cats under the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. You know, are, are we getting a vibe here from... And then, uh, Andrew, when you mentioned earlier, this beast, this new beast that's going to be introduced to us, whether Japanese, Chinese, seems like we're, we're going to get a, a, a little bit of a taste of the Wizarding World out um, out there. Yeah, I finally see the woman. So it's a, she's wearing like a, maybe like a headdress or some sort of headwear. Uh, and it's like a profile shot. Look, It looks cool, but she appears twice. She appears on both sides for symmetry. Yeah. All right, well, that'll be out this November. We can all read it. I know it was helpful when we were analyzing the movie last year or yeah. two years ago, the first movie. So uh, I know we'll appreciate having it. I don't know <laughs> how popular these books really are, but it, it really just helps us decipher Eddie Redmayne's mumbles. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think this looks great, but I have no interest in buying it. Oh, oh yeah, really? Didn't buy the first yeah, one? Yeah, I just don't see any need for it. Yeah. I don't analyze it like you guys do. Yeah, yeah. right. You just listen to us do it. <laughs> All right, well, um, some other news now. Alan Rickman, of course, passed away a couple years ago, and um, an archive of, of his letters is now being auctioned off. This is a collection of personal papers and letters that span his 40-year career as an actor. And um, a couple of the letters concern Harry Potter. First of all, one was previewed in which uh, this is a letter from Harry Potter producer David Heyman to Alan Rickman. It said, thank you for making Harry Potter to a success. I know at times you are frustrated, but please know that you are an integral part of the films and you are brilliant. And then, so so there's like a little hint that Alan Rickman, for whatever reason, was frustrated by these films. And then in a second letter that he wrote, um, it's not clear he, who he wrote this to, maybe David Heyman, um, but he wrote this while working on Half-Blood Prince. The note was titled Inside Snape's Head, and he wrote, it's as if David Yates has decided that this is not important in the scheme of things, i.e. teen audience appeal. Now here's the problem. We don't we don't, we don't have access to the full letter. Only little yeah. excerpts were released. So all we can glean from this is that Alan Rickman seemed to have some sort of issue with the Harry Potter series, which is too bad. I guess he just thought his character deserved more screen time because of how crucial he is to the story. I interpret it a little differently. I think as a working adult actor, you it's important that the little bit that you have to do in these things is respected. I think he might have just had a problem with how David Yates was taking, you know, a book like, like half blood, which is Snape's book and turning it into a movie that maybe didn't feature him as prominently as he expected. 
Right. But but, but he you might could... have been coming at it from a good heart, like a content standpoint. Yeah. And I think we always understood that Alan Rickman had a great love for this series. He would always speak so highly of J.K. Sorry, the book. <laughs> he always spoke very highly of the book series. He always spoke so highly of what J.K. Rowling created. Um, he had said a couple of times that J.K. Rowling let him in on Snape's secrets very early on so he could develop that um, on screen. And maybe that's part of where his frustrations came from. He didn't really have the opportunity to expand on that. Yeah. So kind of a bummer, but I would love to see these full letters. I'm sure he has some interesting thoughts to share. Yeah. And finally, um, J.K. Rowling posted a pretty significant update to her website. <laughs> what, jkrowling.com? Yeah, she didn't, she, she, uh, she didn't use Twitter. She yeah. added a new section to jkrowling.com called Answers. It's right at the, the top in the nav bar. And <laughs> she made a post with a very fascinating title, Answers to Questions. And she wrote... <laughs> Whoa, that's, that's deep. Yeah, pretty lengthy answers to five questions, including uh, what is a typical writing day? You have collaborated on several projects. How does that work? What exactly is your role as producer? And do you write for readers or for yourself? And so, so, so presumably these are frequently asked questions. Uh, but she also shared what she's writing right now. And she said that she finished the fourth Robert Galbraith novel, Lethal White, which we already knew. And she said she's currently writing Fantastic Beasts 3 screenplay, which we, I think, knew already. And then after that, she said, quote, after Fantastic Beasts 3, I'll be writing another book for children. I've been playing with the non-Harry Potter Wizarding World story for about six years, so it's about time I get it down on paper. So that's pretty significant. J.K. Rowling's next book is going to be one for children. It'll be her first children's book since Deathly Hallows, if you count that as a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. We don't know if it's going to be a series we don't know if it's going to be big, but we know it's going to be potentially a bestseller. <laughs> yeah, it will be a bestseller. Anyone else feel excited by this or does it not interest you being an adult now? I still think it's pretty cool. I mean, again, I, I teach freshmen in high school, so who knows if they're going to be into it or not, but they might be. And it's something I can try to bring to their attention. I, I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be really nice just to see J.K. Rowling tackling subjects for light for like four young readers because she the first couple harry potter books which are some of my favorite harry potter books i think she held back a little bit about you know killing off too many characters that sort of thing and what resulted were some beautiful you know she, she's such a good writer that i would like to read this next children's book and kind of see what's similar and what's different about her writing for children now as opposed to 20 years ago I guess that's the question. Is it going to be a children's series like Harry Potter, which actually is for people of all ages, or is it going to be a book for 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds? I, I, th I think she's prepping us in like this question-answer thing for like a book that's just for kids. I mean, no book is just for kids. I A lot of people have a problem with putting any age range on any book. But, you know, I think I think it might be intentionally... You know how, like, the um, casual vacancy was really for adults? Yeah. Because, like, a lot of the content was, like, would only be interesting to adults. And even then, that's questionable. 
I think this would be just a more, I think she really wants to do something that's for kids again and, you know, kind of not, it'll still be able to be read by everybody, but I think the target audience will be younger. Yeah. I selfishly hope that it is a children's series like a Harry Potter that actually is for all ages, because that would be huge in so many ways. Like just being able to dive into a new JK Rowling series that we can speculate over would be amazing. And and something completely unrelated to Harry Potter would actually be very refreshing. It would be great if she just continues to, uh, answer questions on her site as well i know right and she didn't even tweet about this post she just kind of released it on her website without any fanfare which i thought was kind of interesting i love that somebody found it and was just like oh my god (laughs) yeah right yeah no it's uh it's good and i think we talked about when jk rowling released this latest version of her website of her website she probably is able to update it herself whereas previous versions of her website they were like advanced. They were flash heavy. She probably had to write something and send it off to a developer and then the developer had to get it posted. Whereas to me, this kind of feels like a very well-designed WordPress blog. So she can probably just log in herself and post stuff whenever she wants. And hopefully that, that'll make it easier for her to update it more often. In fact, I think she said when she relaunched this website that it's easier for her to update now. So... Let's hope that's the case. And, you know, I mean, one of the most fascinating things about the original J.K. Rowling website was that she would post answers to frequently asked questions on her site. And we all loved reading those because they almost always pertain to Harry Potter. Yeah. So more of that, please. Yes, please. More. More, please. All right. So we do have our Order of the Phoenix theories discussion coming up to celebrate this big anniversary month for the fifth Harry Potter book. Uh, But first, we have a sponsor this week. Yeah, we do, Andrew. Uh, So today's episode is brought to you by Away, and the approach is simple. They create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way that you travel today. Away uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. Now, you guys know I recently traveled to Chicago, and I got a chance to use my luggage for the first time, and uh, I have to say, going through the airport was a breeze. I'm one of those people who always drags the luggage behind me, and I end up hitting myself in the back of the foot. Do you guys do that? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) So the uh, Away luggage has four 360 spinner wheels, which came in very handy. Uh, as did the built-in phone charger, so I didn't have to go around the airport looking for a place to charge my phone. I just pop it right into the luggage, and there you go. And uh, once on board, just take the luggage, put it overhead, fits in nicely. It's compliant with all major U.S. airlines. Mogulcast listeners can choose from a variety of colors and sizes. There's a lifetime warranty, so if anything breaks, Away will fix it, replace it for you, and send it right back. There's also a 100-day trial, so... If for any reason you don't like your luggage, you can return it, get a refund, no questions asked. You get free shipping on any way order within the lower 48 states. So all you have to do is head on over to their website. And for $20 off a suitcase, just visit awaytravel.com slash mugglecast and use promo code mugglecast during checkout. That's visit awaytravel.com slash mugglecast and use promo code mugglecast during checkout. Excellent. I love my away suitcase. Yeah. 
All right, let's get to our main discussion now. So, uh, like I said, 15 years since Order of the Phoenix. It was June 21st, which is always easy for me to remember because the summer solstice was, uh, you know, it's on the same uh, day. Longest day of the year. Yeah, I think there was. There used to be speculation that that was on purpose. <laughs> I think I think it was. Yeah. Why the hell not? Because longest day of the year, you can get in line and, like, the sun, get in line for the book and, like, the sun didn't... Uh, Set till like 9 p.m. So there's plenty of sunlight. J.K. Rowling did that for us in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> anyway, so I thought it'd be fun to actually step back in time before Order of the Phoenix was released and think about and reflect on the theories that we were all, the theories that we had in our minds before that book came out. It was a different time, though, on the Internet. And uh, we didn't have social media. So we had to rely on forums to speculate with fellow fans. But Order of the Phoenix, I think, was the book where it really blew up to the next level. Like, once Order of the Phoenix came out, that's when theorizing went into overdrive. Were you all reading Harry Potter by the time Order of the Phoenix had come out? I was. Because, like, Micah, you were a late you were a late bloomer, weren't you? Yeah, I was going to say, this This is kind of new territory for me, so it's kind of interesting to go back and, and look at some of these questions that uh, you pulled, some of the, the major theories that were out there, because for me, I I didn't go into it that way. I was I was in a situation where all these books, all at least the first five, had already been uh, released. So, yeah, I'd, I never really wondered what the Order of the Phoenix was, because I could just kind of open the book and start reading and and even though maybe it was mentioned I I tried to look up if Order of the Phoenix was mentioned in any of the four prior Potter uh, books but I think J.K. Rowling often tried to stay away from that she always wanted speculation particularly around her titles and and what uh, they represented I agree Um, Eric how about you 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 were a fan earlier than that do you remember speculating much over Order of the Phoenix I feel like uh, all we had to go on was Dumbledore's line about the old crowd, gather the old crowd, that he mentioned a couple of wizards by name at the end of Goblet when Voldemort comes back. But we had no way of knowing for sure if that was the Order of the Phoenix. I think it's like less of a common word to use than group or team or army um, order. So it really could have been anything. I know the common parody is like Harry Potter and the Order of French Fries and Double Quarter <laughs> Pounder, you know, like for the use of that word. But uh, no, but but like Amy, I mean, Order of the Phoenix was my first book release party to go to. Like I had I had caught up, but only just. And I think a lot of it has to do with the movies coming yeah. out. I think a lot of people are in that same boat because this was the first book that had three years between it. And in that time, not only were new, you know, readers getting involved uh, in general, also because of the movies that were massively successful. um, But, you know, with that three years, people were kind of shuffling their feet going, well, I really love this series. I kind of want to talk about it. I really can't stop thinking about it. What are some of the questions that I would like to see out of this new book? And everybody had a lot of time to just kind of ruminate on it kind of think about it so i think that this the three years the time that jk rowling took off you know and decided to spend more time on book five which turned out to be the longest book of the series you know she did that but it it gave i think the whole world a bit of a 
a bit of room to grow to start yeah. speculating and to to yeah to really grow and change in its nature it's sort of like when a tv series gets really good word of mouth these days and then everybody binges it in between seasons and then suddenly the following season the ratings just surge because <laughs> so many new fans have come on board in yeah. between seasons that's definitely what happened with harry potter it's a really good way of putting it but that's a good um you you bring up a good point too about that line dumbledore gives a serious about getting the old band back together to paraphrase him. <laughs> uh, one of the people he actually mentions is Arabella Fig. Oh yeah. And um, there was actually some speculating on how Fig would get involved because Fig was just a neighbor of Harry's. That's all we knew of her. So it was, that was a good little hint that JK Rowling dropped. I mean, there was, there was, there was no like reaction to the fact that Fig was named in this. There was no like analysis really on Harry's part, um, and so because it was such an early time in the fandom, the only like I said, forums is where you speculate, and I found a lot of stuff on cosforums.com. This was is MuggleNet's Harry Potter forums. I mean, the trove of stuff on there is just breathtaking. They, to their credit, they archived several of the order of the phoenix threads that were going on including the arabella fig one um and actually pretty early on in this discussion somebody did speculate that um that arabella fig could be watching harry which i thought was pretty impressive uh somebody also speculated that um she (laughs) could have been uh a cat <laughs> secretly <laughs> because um, everybody's a cat right 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 everybody hides as a cat in the harry potter series well she has she has so many cats i mean i think that's fair she actually her cats are spies though so this is even that theory is not off yeah right and then i mean of course really early on in the order of the phoenix we do find out that there is more to arabella fig that meets the eye so that that was a fun little hint another interesting thing about the speculation was leading up to the release of book five, a quote was released from the book. And I still remember how excited I was over this quote. Cause it's just so epic to me. And I, I make fun of it from time to time now, cause it's kind of relevant again. The quote was that was released. And I think it was printed inside the inside flap of the order of the Phoenix book. Um, it says Dumbledore lowered his hands and surveyed Harry through his half moon glasses it is time, he said, for me to tell you what I should have told you five years ago, Harry. Please sit down. I'm going to tell you everything. <laughs> that quote came out before the book was released. That's like a mind-blowingly scary thing to read in advance. I'm going to tell you everything? What? What have you been hiding from him? Well, I mean. Everything. And he doesn't even tell him everything right. in book five. Yeah, that's that's the biggest disappointing quote of all time, I think, for this series. <laughs> For all for all the hype, it got me to buy the book. I mean, tons of the stuff got me to buy the book, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's very titillating. It's a perfect marketing quote. It's it's you know that the marketers are patting themselves on the back after pulling that quote out of the books, right? Um, and it's relevant again because as I brought up a few weeks ago, we were wondering why Dumbledore. We were speculating Dumbledore might withhold information from Newt. Right. <laughs> for a couple of movies. 
and, and and like I said, this is a this is a habit of his withholding information for a long period of time. That butt face. Well, his his excuse with Harry is not only Harry's age, but that he found himself falling in love with Harry. You know, you know, parentally, and and it's just kind of doesn't want him to come to danger, even though it meant that you know not telling him that he absolutely must die in some form or the other. I don't know. It's like because of his attachment to Harry is why he said he never, even when he said he'd tell him everything, he didn't. Right. And to to her credit, J.K. Rowling actually has Harry say, I think it's book six. Actually, it would have to be book six unless it's dead Dumbledore. But he confronts Dumbledore about not really having told him everything. Yeah. And I think that that's when Dumbledore excuses it. So, you know, it works, but it definitely was, it, it, it completely funneled a lot of excitement into what are the things that that Dumbledore knows about Harry and kind of going through the original first four books or whatever, you know, Dumbledore as a a mystery kind of lingering in the background there. Like he knows what Harry's up to with the mirror. He knows what Harry is doing pretty much at all times. And it really kind of, I think upped his uh, street cred as like a master. This was the first time I think you see Dumbledore as really um, master manipulator or master, um, you know, the guy who's really in charge of an entire group of people or to the Phoenix yeah. is where that all comes to light. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. I think we, we didn't fully get into this, Micah, but one of the big questions obviously going into the book was what is the order of the Phoenix? Yeah. Right. <laughs> all we knew, I like the, the only thing we could really speculate was it had to do with Fox. Yeah. I mean, Fox is the only Phoenix we know. Amy, do you remember have any thoughts going into that? That's, I mean, I basically does the same thing. When I saw Phoenix, I was like, okay, well, we know about Fox. But when I read Order of the Phoenix, I didn't think group of people at all. It just didn't even come to my mind. So right. I just thought it had something to do with Fox and maybe something that like Dumbledore himself was going to be doing. But I thought it was just going to be him, not necessarily a group of people. Right. You do have to wonder how it got its name in the first place. Uh, Dumbledore just really likes phoenixes. They had to call it something. <laughs> I would assume. I would assume because he loves Fox so much. That's what they went with. And a phoenix soars to victory. It rises from the flames. Yes. Yes, and it gets reborn. So even if you know some of the people in the order die, there's always going to be new people coming in to kind of replace them Ooh. You know, to be the army or whatever. Reborn. So maybe that's what he was thinking. The order of the phoenix will always be reborn. From the ashes comes a new order. Yeah, and phoenixes uh, do pretty well against snakes, too. So I think that considering Voldemort had picked snakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's also a good point. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, even the order that we see in Order of the Phoenix is kind of a reborn one. It's not all of the same old people right. because half of them are dead now. Right, right. It's like a, when an old rock and roll band reunites. Who who can still play for us? Who can who can hit the, hit the notes, hit the spells right? Um, another big theory... Well, there was a lot of speculation over Snape. For example, will Snape ever teach that cursed defense against the dark arts role? And I found this funny thread from October 2002. Somebody named I Heart Sirius, of course, says, I know we've talked about the DADA teacher in general, but do you guys think we'll ever get to see him be one? Personally, I'd like to see him teach it. Maybe in the seventh book? First reply says, I don't think we will ever see Snape as defense against the dark arts teacher. I think that the rumor that he wants the job is just a rumor. This person goes on to say that he doesn't even really want the job. (laughs) 
I don't know how you would get that. Like, I think Snape makes it pretty clear that he does want it. Does he? Particularly in Order of the Phoenix, because Umbridge interviews him and says, do you want, did you, you you've wanted the D-Day oh. role, right? And mm. he says, yes, I have. Yeah, I think this person's uh, argument is just that how, how much he talks about potions you know, he definitely relishes being potions teacher. He's the half blood prince who found tweaks to potions that the official books had no clue of. Um, you know, he's really, really good at potions. So I think, based on his opening monologue in year one about bewitching the mind and ensnaring the senses, he just seems a little creepily obsessed with how potions is as a subject. Um, so who knows? Yeah. I, I can't remember what 14-year-old Andrew was thinking at the time, but I would assume that Jake, I would have assumed that I would have felt that J.K. Rowling was one day going to reward him with this position because it just seems like a long time coming. And not that we were led to like Snape much while reading these books, but I think it would have been satisfying to see Snape finally in this position and being like, Oh, okay. He's in it now. Let's see what he actually does. And hopefully he's better than that well, yeah. Umbridge woman. I mean, yeah. Coming coming out before book five, this is super funny because I'm reading this comment here by Hagrid's house elf uh, who joined 5,758 days ago. That was me. Yeah. Oh, that's you, Micah? You said this? Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Micah that's wrote cool. uh, <laughs> 16 years ago. Micah wrote, I am sick. No, no. I'm actually Hagrid's house elf. Oh, I I am sick of the one DADA teacher a year. Maybe the next one will be to, to stay. Let's hope she is. Snape loves potions. Why teach DADA if he's already doing what he loves? So yeah. little did they know that it was going to be Umbridge that came, and you're going to hate this DADA teacher too. But I'm so um, glad you brought that up. I was going to bring up that same comment that it made me laugh so much. That this person was like, maybe this person will be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the one the one a year was kind of played out at that point in this person's mind, um, which I get. Like it's it's, but I I think it's interesting. Obviously, by book six, the very next book, you understand why it is the way that it is, and that kind of well, makes it cooler. And and to that point, I mean, we've yet to learn. There may be some speculation, right, that this position is in fact cursed, but in order for Snape to take on that role, it would need to fit in Dumbledore's larger master plan, right? Because once Snape takes yeah. that role, we something's going to happen to him. Whether, you know, and, and we see that, that what that is can take many forms just based on what's happened throughout um, the first couple of books prior to this. So we would need to be in a position, or, or Dumbledore would need to be in a position where he would be comfortable with Snape no longer being uh, at Hogwarts, mm, you know yeah. the other thing wasn't Umbridge herself teased as a as a like like then it was said that like the new teacher there was writing on it um like a paragraph or two about her I don't know toad like hands or something because this Hagrid's house of quote says she assigns a pronoun they must have known to it was a female somehow yeah yeah they must have known yeah when I, I was when I was. Digging back in the archives, I did see a quote. J.K. Rowling did one of those internet chats, I think. And she had said that, I think she did say that it would be a woman. But she didn't say that, you know, she was going to be the worst thing that ever happened to the role or anything <laughs> like that. But she yeah. did tease it would be a woman. So, huh. Um, speaking of Snape, 
he's just a, such a fascinating character. Um, there was also a thread on COS forums about Snape's mission, and they were wondering if Snape could be a spy, which, of course, was pretty much right on. Uh, in fact, this one person, Dogstar87, said in December 2002, Snape is a spy for Dumbledore's side. My best guess is that Dumbledore has sent Snape off to do some spying for his side, perhaps to try and find out Voldy's whereabouts and figure out what steps must be taken to fight his order. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly right. <laughs> Next comment. I seriously doubt Snape is a spy. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you got to love the forum. No way, that's, man. That's what they're there for. Yeah, I know. Um, I but know. This, this in particular, though, is coming off of the end of Goblet of Fire where you have him being seen in the faux glass, right? And that, to me, that was always such a telling moment, right? Because it's supposed to show the like the person's true intentions, right? Mm. And Snape in the faux glass, and he sees him as his true self, or, or something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing and, and probably not doing a good job of explaining it, but um, to me, that 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 really signified that. Snape was not there to do any harm to Harry. Yeah. I'm going to look this up real fast sure. in the chat. Okay. I mean, this the Snape debate is something that never really ended until book seven even, or, or even the very end of book seven. I remember uh, Warner Brothers, or sorry, Scholastic, released that uh, The Great Snape Debate book, which was collected works of writing of whether or not Snape was all good, and then the other half of the book, which is printed deliberately upside down backwards, was the case for him being bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that was something that was a real, real big deal. So it's funny that we're speculating and going into book five, you really don't get an answer. And then even after he kills Dumbledore, it's a testament to J.K. Rowling's good writing that there could still be people who think he's good after he kills Dumbledore at the end of book six. But throughout book six, we see things and we know things that – it's not completely easy. Like I see a f- uh, forum thread on the final horcrux.com. I never heard of that forum, but um, huh. they were discussing about, they were discussing Snape in the faux glass in the spring of 2005. So this was before Half-Blood Prince came out. Um, and they said the same thing you did about Snape being uh, Harry seeing Snape in the faux glass in Moody's office. And to your point, um, Somebody speculates that Snape is playing double-double spy, but he also just finds out um, that a DE under the control of Voldemort has infiltrated... Oh, Death Eater under the control of Voldemort has infiltrated Hogwarts and might have been seeing Snape in the way he was... At. I don't, a lot of double-double <laughs> stuff going on, but um, yes, people were following along that same thread that you had. Right, because the faux glass would supposedly be reflective of Barty Crouch Jr.'s enemies at the time. And if Snape is looking into it and seeing himself, he would therefore be an enemy of Barty Crouch mm, Jr. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very good point. I don't know. It's it's something... To, to the point that you were making about the discussion of Snape being a spy, not being a spy, I think that could be one of those points that you could go to and you could say, well, you were getting hints earlier on that Yes, he was a spy, but probably not who you thought he was spying for. He wasn't spying for Voldemort or the Death Eaters. He he was doing... I mean, he was, but at the end of the day, 
it was a cover so that he could spy for Dumbledore. Well, that's a really again that's the brilliance of the complexity of J.K. Rowling's writing. You know, you have the the fact that he is is still a spy. We just don't know for whose side. Um, and then magical items like not only the faux glass, which I was always a little unclear as to how it worked, but like so that's open to interpretation. But also the sneakoscope. Like if you go through, um, I think it's book three when the sneakoscope is re- released and it goes crazy and, and Harry's like, oh, that thing's broken. But really, Peter Pettigrew's in the room as Scabbers. You're like, oh, that that was actually accurate the entire time. Right. You know, the sneakoscope annoys you for an entire book and a half. <laughs> but every time it goes off, it's accurate. But it's being portrayed as being broken. So everything is, you know, not what it seems, I guess, always, at all times. Yeah. I think I can see where people got confused, though, because, like, in that forum about, is Snape going to be a spy? You know, a lot of people are saying, well, Voldemort's too smart to, you know, be tricked by him. But I also think people give Voldemort a little too much credit for his intelligence. Like, he was obviously smart, but he was too cocky, I think. And didn't think that anyone could pull anything over on him. Right. So I think that's why Snape was able to kind of fly under the radar there. But, I mean, I could see that why people would be like, well, maybe he just went back to that side instead. I think it just needs to be that, that Voldemort was blinded by love and didn't see Snape's love for Lily as a motivation uh, to, you know, like Snape hid his emotions well, but ultimately was Voldemort's failing to see that Snape was operating out of grief or or had any grief about the woman he specifically asked Voldemort not to kill uh, that allowed Voldemort to lose. Um, But what you're saying about his cockiness is 100% true as of book seven, but I just... I I do think that as of book five going in, you're just... Voldemort was portrayed as being very much smarter than he ended up being. Yeah. so I think the expectations were very high. And at the time, it was a valid argument that, oh, yeah, Voldemort's just too smart for Snape or, you know, a, a, an opinion at least. But we we know that he's cocky. It's true. Yeah. So moving on here, while I was doing research for this discussion, I came across this theory that I had never heard of before. But evidently, it was very popular. It was that Remus Lupin was actually James Potter in disguise. Oh, <laughs> I can tell you I can tell you exactly where this or this came from and it's it's kind of a great story the ultimate unofficial guide to the mysteries of Harry Potter books 1 through 4 by Galadriel Waters and Astrid Mithrandir was a book that was released leading up to book 5 and it was featured on MuggleNet and it presented basically it was the first it was a book that encouraged and gave a, a rubric or like instruction on how to dissect the Harry Potter books, and it was never in your face. You know, this is these are the definitive answers. We have all the answers. Remus is James, that kind of thing. But it really provided a, just a sort of beginner's look at how to take something like any any paragraph that J.K. Rowling writes and understand that you know there are clues being laid down, and and really to 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 pick apart some of the various mysteries that clearly lay inside Harry Potter. Anyway, that's a great book. We've talked about it before. But at the end of the book, in, a, in an area called the restricted section, was where the authors themselves dared to put a couple of clues together. Because the whole book, they're just like, very much do this yourself, very much like, this is what we glean from it, but what do you think? And at the end of the book, they were like, here's some really cool theories that we have that we think you'll like because we put it all together and this was 
in that book, this was one of those theories. It's pretty ridiculous, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think it was a perfect uh, summation of what they were trying to say because at the time it was 100% possible and with a, with enough clever sleuthing, it was even probable. I don't like how J.K. Rowling hides people within other people. Take the Polyjuice Potion scenes, take Grindelwald, Graves, um, take Barty Crouch, Moody. I just feel like we didn't. there was not room for another one of those at that time, especially after Moody, Barty Crouch. Um, I mean, she continued to do it. She continued and, to use Polyjuice on Crab, Goyle. I know. Everyone in the ministry. Doesn't you know. make it right. So I think the se- sensing that more people would be revealed to have been other people was probably still on point. Well, how Matt, how would they explain away the werewolf? Uh, well, I guess in the theory, we should really go through the, the points, but my theory is that, you know, if James switched bodies with, with Lupin and, and they propose this may have occurred via a switching spell, which, hey, switching spells are talked about all the time in Harry Potter. They come up all the time, and we still to this... But are they switching people? <laughs> I don't think that's what they're meant for. <laughs> well, no, but I but we still don't know what they do though. Like they were everywhere in the first couple books. Um, you know, so it's just kind of interesting on on that front. Like just as a huh, this never happened. Um Pe- People speculated that the werewolf was actually a cover for revealing himself to truly be James Potter. In other words, or that if he was but if he was James stuck in Remus's body, Remus was still a werewolf. So he would still be a werewolf. It would just be his mind or soul or whatever that's switched. You know, yeah, and that's then, how I took the theory mm-hmm. to be that it was James is like mine just in Lupin's body, so mm-hmm. he would still be yeah. a werewolf. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of the arguments are rather flimsy. Like the whole like red and gold sparks and that must mean something because Lupin's in red sparks and Harry's wand had red sparks. <laughs> Look, it's it's easy to point fun, but J.K. Rowling <laughs> has like really she's used this stuff before. That's true. I I guess it's possible, but think of what that would have done to Harry. Like all these years, his father was hiding as Remus Lupin. Like, are you kidding? He would have had his dad back. That would I think that would have ruined him to be on. Well, like he would be in such a state of shock originally, initially, and probably a state of shock for a long period of time. I don't know. To think your whole life that your father's dead. Like, why would he have never gone to get Harry? Like, I feel like Remus taking him wouldn't be that crazy. Well, right. <laughs> like, why wouldn't he Yeah, well, yeah. separately, um, you know, I think a lot of these <laughs> clues are ambiguous or, you know, not. And, and, and this is the whole thing. This is This is how... This is what got Wizarding World Press, the authors, into in a lot of trouble is people misinterpreted their intentions in putting these clues together. Nobody was ever saying this was going to happen. But when you combine a lot of these things, it begins to paint a narrative that is kind of intriguing. Yeah, that makes sense. And really, it just does what they do best, which is spark, you know, the mind, you know, intrigue, interest readers in digging deeper into... I mean, I, I credit this book with my love of harry potter i, I really do this was the book that like I, deep deep level yeah thinking. yeah yeah absolutely this this book provided a rubric for me so i do have a soft spot and i am being like a little defensive about it but i mean let's read some of these <laughs> you know examples or or things because I, I find them to be pretty intriguing um so i mean this is just analysis plain by reading book three uh the first one is unlike any unlike everyone else 
Lupin never stared at Harry's scar or mentioned his eyes or resemblance to his father. And that's kind of big if you think everyone in Harry Potter tells him he resembles his father except Lupin. Well, why? Lupin addresses Harry by name as if he was already very familiar with him. That's actually true. Um, Maybe because he sees James in him. Yeah. Well, we know. I mean, we we know that Lupin is his very own flawed person that never is James, and that's great. I mean, the great thing of it all is that Lupin is a father figure to Harry, whether he's his, his actual dad or not. You know, he doesn't need to be his actual dad because he's a pretty good father figure. He ends up being absent in the later books, you know, much to my and everyone else's dismay. He's such a great teacher. He's probably the best teacher Harry ever has. But, you know, there's a lot in there. I think there's a lot of love to want Lupin to be even closer to Harry, I think. Mm -hmm. That's where this comes from. I mean, yeah, so we don't have to go through all these points. But look, uh, if a lot of people bought it, that's fine. I, I recognize that, but I just I just think that I mean that would be the plot twist to end all plot twists and certainly would have changed Harry Potter the series on so many different levels, and the cursed child wouldn't really exist, would it? It would be a very different story. Well, then I really want this to have been a thing. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing I want to point out, and then we'll move on to, to death speculation. Um, was the gleam of triumph? This was in Goblet of Fire. Um, it was an interesting line that J.K. Rowling didn't expand on in Order of the Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince. This is when Dumbledore realizes that Voldemort placed a part of himself within Harry when um, Voldemort drew blood from Harry, which is still a little backwards to me. Like, I I don't completely understand that. Um, But she admits in the Mugganet Leaky interview, which was conducted after, Half-Blood Prince was released that yes that Gleam of Triumph line does mean something but she purposely held off on revealing what it means for Deathly Hollows. She purposely didn't explain it in Order of the Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince which was just another brilliant moment of planning and a lot of people recognized that Gleam of Triumph line in Goblet of Fire as meaning something significant so there was a lot of speculation online. You know, but as terms in, in as far as theories, I didn't find anything that was really sticking out. People were just all kind of d- didn't know what to make of it, other than that this was a very important moment for Dumbledore. I, don't know. I always thought that was line was really odd because, like, I don't remember the first time I read it. I must have been ten or eleven, so I don't remember that at all. But in my rereads, even then, I was like. What a weird way to look at that. Like, you know, it, it still it took me longer than I feel like I should have to realize it meant, you know, what happened in the end that he was connected to Harry now. But I don't know. I I know I reread several times before even Deathly Hallows came out, so I was like, that's a terrible way to like, you know, look at this poor kid who's just been tortured. Right. <laughs> oh, you've been seriously Woo-hoo, named and tortured. you lost all your protection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, I mean, that that was just a cool moment. And of course, it sets up the grand finale in the final book. And getting back to our earlier point about Dumbledore, he's, you know, he, he reveals information when the timing is right. He had a master plan all along that ultimately did work out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just love, again, the gleam of triumph, the way that the blood, uh, like sharing Harry's blood works both ways. It's such good writing. Like, all of these books were so blessed to have such a series that, like, 
is so ambiguous until it's not. And then when it's not, you're like, oh, my God, I should have known all along. Right. It is bizarre that Voldemort didn't realize what issues might come up from using Harry's blood. Did he have any hesitation about that whatsoever? Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem very smart. Like, I get why he's doing it. He wants to use this person who he absolutely despises his blood to come back to life. But, well... His first real attempt at regaining a body in the possession of Quirrell was foiled simply because he couldn't even touch Harry Potter. Harry Potter didn't even need to be good at dueling. All he needed to do was put his hand to his face, and Voldemort was forced out. And so I think Voldemort is not very smart, and I think he's thinking very, very short term. But using Harry's blood and and knocking down a couple of those protections is all that's on his mind short term. He just doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of all his Death Eater friends if Harry goes up and flicks his nose or is like, you know, like not that he has a nose, but, you know, just touches him and he fought, he fails to, to come back. Yeah, It is a big, kind of a big point of book four that he, he, Voldemort could have had a body the next morning after the book starts if he wasn't interested in using Harry as a sacrifice. Right. So... Finally, um, just wanted to touch on um, death predictions. A lot of people thought poor old Hagrid was going to die yeah. in book five. That was a recurring That's... thing. That was absolutely like, – anytime there was a new book coming out and there was a poll, who do you think will die? I remember Hagrid was a favorite like all the time. Yeah, I definitely remember for the later books more than for Order of the Phoenix. Yeah? Why did you think he was a goner? Oh, I didn't think it necessarily, but I remember like oh. before, like Deathly Hallows, tons of people were saying that, you know, yeah. like oh, Hagrid's for sure not gonna make it. Now I always thought it was odd because I was like, I don't. He seems so strong. Like I don't know what could take him down. He does seem strong, but maybe people were thinking this because he was one. Of, he was the first wizard that Harry met that he could remember, um, back in book one, and maybe people just thought there had to be an end to this era at some point. But because, because as we spoke about a few weeks ago, Harry is a mother figure or sorry, Hagrid is a mother figure to Harry and to lose him would have been extremely significant. Micah, did you ever fear for Hagrid's life? Not really. Not sure why. Um, There's no like specific reason. I mean, I think going into order of the Phoenix, I probably more so would have been concerned for for Dumbledore. I think just knowing that eventually, you know, there has to be sort of that hero's journey going out it alone and not having the support of somebody like Dumbledore there. Uh, but yet again, Dumbledore is very distant in this book and really kind of removes himself a lot from his normal interactions with Harry. So I did actually notice that a lot of people were speculating Dumbledore would die because J.K. Rowling frequently writes about in Goblet of Fire and I think especially in Order of the Phoenix that Dumbledore is really described as as seeming old, seeming frail, seeming tired. Like she was kind of, I don't know if it was hinting, but I think she was describing Dumbledore as this character who had run his course, who was recognizing that he was at his end. Yeah. Well, those clues are all over book six too, which of course ends in 
his death and of course his saying i think he he says like my reflexes are not once they want what they once were you know it just kind of really really ends up being a little heavy-handed that he is old and fragile and dying but i'm so glad that at the end of order of the phoenix she gives him this badass duel with voldemort which he wins mm-hmm. you know that that's actually really cool that he is that old and is so successful against voldemort yeah that's that's kind of a really cool victory before having his character kind of suffer the the old age well and if you also go back and look and and this person i don't know what the odds were for Sirius to actually be the one who is killed in in order of the phoenix but if i was just doing the chapter reading not that long ago for um for prisoner of azkaban and it's the chapter where you know they confront peter pettigrew in the shrieking shack and and Sirius is is really revealed um, and his story is told. And if you look through all the different words that are used, and I'm sure there's a lot of this in Order of the Phoenix as well, but like even when he's speaking, like it's like Sirius croaked, and 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 like the words that are used to describe him are are could be a little bit foretelling and foreboding um, for for the future. That could also have had to have done with Sirius just really not liking being stuck up in the house. Like he's just a tired and sad person being forced to live here under Dumbledore's orders. But yes, I also think they could be hinting at his death. I remember whenever the book first came out, I guess my brother somehow found out that Sirius died, even though he never even read the books. And so he told me, he was like, I'm going to give you a hint on who dies. And I was really mad because I was afraid I was going to figure it out, but I definitely didn't. But he said he's not joking because he's serious. <laughs> so, but I didn't figure it out. So I was good. <laughs> Damn. Um, all right. So to wrap this discussion up, we asked our Patreon supporters on patreon.com slash MuggleCast, what were your pre-Order the Phoenix release theories? And like many of us, it is hard to remember because we were, first of all, it was 15 years ago, and uh, we were all so young. Um, Irvin said, didn't have too many theories going in. I was only 11 and discovered MuggleNet and the fandom only the day before the release. That said, I had caught the Mrs. Fig reference and was sure she'd be revealed to be a witch and an ally of Dumbledore's. Hannah said, as I was five years old at the time, I hadn't yet discovered Harry Potter and didn't read, didn't read the books before, after they had all come out. So I didn't theorize much. However, I couldn't finish Order of the Phoenix on the first read-through and went on to Half-Blood Prince after about half. I thought it was long and boring, so I didn't read the end of book five before years later. What the heck? How could that, you That's s- against the rules. Yes. Confusing. You should. We're obligated to tell you that you cannot do that. I can't believe that. I'm really disappointed in you, Hannah. Like, you can't stop reading Harry Potter book and just skip to the next one. Jen said, one of the few memories I have, because this was my first, very first book release that I attended, is me and my friends being beginning conversations about Snape's loyalties. I can't remember what prompted that discussion, but we talked about that. And also, since as one of the previous comments says, the Wizarding World seemed a bit smaller before Voldemort comes back in Goblet of Fire. We had lengthy discussions on every wizard we knew so far and where they fell in the spectrum. Most of the theories, I think, started coming out of Order of the Phoenix, though. After hearing the prophecy and being in the Department of Mysteries, how could you not? Yeah. And this is why I like the later books. 
they're just more of an enter- a more entertaining read to me. I'm rereading Order of the Phoenix right now. St. Mungo's is all over the place in the book. That's not in the movie at all. <laughs> but yeah, you hear so much about the about St. Mungo's and then of course the Ministry of Magic and the Department of Ministries Mysteries, which we will discuss later this month. Michael says, I remember as a kid being so shocked when Voldemort returned that I had no idea what was to come. When the cover art was revealed, I thought that the revolving room cover image was somewhere deep in Hogwarts and that Harry would find more secrets about Voldemort like he did in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, that cover was very hard to analyze. There was really nothing to go off of. I just remember Harry looking a lot older on that cover than he did in uh, previous book covers. Miranda said, I definitely thought the phoenix in the title was somehow a reference to Fox. Also, I thought we'd see more of Durmstrang and Bow Battens with Voldemort being back, but I suppose we did in a limited sense with Madame Maxine helping Hagrid. And of course, Hermione and Victor were still pen pals. Hey boy, what's up? Miss you. Wink, wink. So yeah, um, I think that's what we've got for everybody in terms of Order of the Phoenix theories. My favorite book, so it's nice to be back in it. And uh, we're still developing discussions concerning Order of the Phoenix. But uh, like I said, one of them, which we've been talking about doing for a while, is Order of the Phoenix Department of Mysteries discussion. Because there's so much there that we never learned more of. And we will do, we will figure that all out later this month. Eric, speaking of Patreon, we have an update there. We certainly do. Um, we mentioned uh, recently or earlier in the year that this year's physical uh, giveaway, physical gift for all of our patrons would be 16-ounce double-sided ceramic MuggleCast mugs in house colors. The order form is now open. <laughs> um, it costs nothing. If you're already a patron uh, of ours, you get this for free. You just need to tell us which color mug you would like and that order form is going to be open for two more weeks or until june 15th so if you are a patron of ours uh please get on it and let us know we 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 so that we don't have to track you down um but uh definitely you know we want to thank all of our patrons who contributed unfortunately it is too late to join and become a patron we did warn you uh if you do want to receive a mug you know there might be something later or you know different gifts in the future um but for now and especially as part of our our 777 challenge which ended up going over 777 patrons uh everyone who joined during that period of time will get a mug uh and we're just like super excited to be getting to this so just let us know which one you want via the form which is on patreon.com slash mugglecast and that's all she wrote we're also going to ask you to verify your latest address so that you don't have to worry about doing that through the patreon system and yeah it's it's good stuff so we already have you know what i'm blown away by we have like 300 orders so far and 41 percent 41.6 percent are ravenclaw huh There's too many of us Me- Damn right. I have never been so Amy, you are too? Yeah. Ugh, they're I should have known being a teacher. They they're they're <laughs> infiltrating. I had no idea there were so many Ravenclaws and I mean I should know, right? It seems kind of obvious, but you know what? There's 26% Hufflepuff. What are these numbers? That's 68% of people are Hufflepuff or Ravenclaw. That leaves only like 12 12- We get no representation in the books. Yeah. 
maybe they it's just so <laughs> maybe they just like the blue and black mug. Maybe it has nothing to do it's with true. the house. It's true. It is it is a very soothing blue. It's like a lighter blue. Pictures of the mugs or, or the mock up of the mugs is also on the order form, by the way. Um, but you can also find it on an old post on MuggleCast.com. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just blown away to see if you look at the the pie chart of the Google form, twelve point six percent is Slytherin and like fifteen point whatever is Gryffindor. I'm just like. Wow, that's not at all even house breakup that I, you know, expected. Well, the, so well this gr- is in Pottermore, so. Gryffindors and Slytherins are very busy. We have very busy schedules, so they'll get to filling out the form, and when they do, those numbers are going to flip. That is it. We have fifty-nine or 51% of the precincts reporting, so it's still anybody's game. For sure. I feel like Ravenclaws would be the first ones to do it. Like, I filled out my form, like, a minute after you posted it. Oh, God. <laughs> this is revealing a lot. <laughs> Well, that that makes me nervous then that like we won't continue to have that. There, we've seen all the Ravenclaws we're ever going to see. Um, but yeah, everybody, please, if you're a patron, just go over, fill out the form, help us out. Um, you have until June fifteenth, and then you no longer have any time at all. All right. To wrap up today's show, it's time for some quizage. Last week's question was, what is the form of Kingly, Kingsley Shacklebolt's Patronus? What was the answer? The answer was a lynx, and we deliberately made it an easy question because so few people were participating when we were doing the harder ones. And boy, oh boy, did that work out. We got about 20 or 30 replies on Twitter with the correct answer. I'm going to just run through some of the names. Melissa Orlandini, Sarah... Hannah E., Meritere, Jess Hardy, Aaron Duffy, Melissa, Helene Karp, Mandy Bullard, Lauren Aragon, Nerd Talkalypse Podcast, Tazzy D., Kevin Lohman, Kayla Darrow, Dapper, Daniela, Deborah M. Lee, Emily Rhodes, Neversius, Hannah, Daniel Etock, Jennifer St. George, Hannah Boxberger, Sean Brady, Kelly Morgan, and Justin Nolan, Kate Molden, Lucy, and Mimi Eve. So thank you, everybody. Was that all one name? I can't figure out what you just said. Uh, It's a bunch of other stuff. Anyway, uh, we played this game over on Twitter. And if you'd like to see all of the great winners who were really, really smart, just do a Google search or a Twitter search of MuggleCast and a Twitter search of Lynx, which was the correct answer. And you'll see all of our fabulous winners. um, Yeah, like I've said before, I like um, checking the MuggleCast replies and seeing people responding to that any and anything else you might have to say about a given episode we like hearing your feedback we like knowing that you're listening so feel free to reach out you can do it via twitter um but what what is uh this week's question this week's question is also a fairly easy one but in keeping with our goals um it is order the phoenix themed this month and uh it is as follows a witch or wizard who is gifted at reading minds is called a what Mm. question mark okay submit your answers to us over on twitter twitter.com slash mugglecasts like i said we love your feedback you can also email mugglecast at gmail.com to get in touch with us Um, we also have a contact form on the website just click on the about slash contact link we also got that voicemail line. We love to hear from you. one 9203684453 muggle M-U-G-G-L-E. No C-A-S in the T. <laughs> Amy, hope you had fun today. Thanks for joining I us. I did. Thank you. And thanks for your support over at Patreon. Are you going to hang out in your classroom till tomorrow or what's the plan? <laughs> I was not planning on it. Goodness. I don't have kids tomorrow. I have to work tomorrow, but the last day for kids was Friday. Or is it in service? So, yeah. Yeah. 
Ah, okay. All right. Well, get together some new, uh, put together some new quizzes questions for there for the kids. Oh yeah, actually, I would really love some help with the quizzes <laughs> questions. I would actually love doing that. That sounds so fun. Oh great. <laughs> See, Eric, it's fun. Come on, appreciate your role. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, who's been listening live over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Our Patreon is why we are doing shows weekly, and you'll get lots of benefits, including physical gifts once a year, like the mugs Eric just mentioned, uh, live streams. We've had a handful of people listening to us this morning. Looks like 20 people tuned in right now, so thanks to that. Thanks to you all. It's uh, people like listening to get early access to the show. We record on Saturdays or Sundays. Typically Saturdays, though. Um, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot going on on the Patreon, so do check it out. And you can pledge as little as $2 a month to get access to the live stream. So we're keeping it as affordable as possible. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Amy. Bye. 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 Bye.